Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. It's good to be back home. <laughs> We had, uh, as you can see, an amazing time, great trip, um, and uh, but there's there's no place like home. I missed you guys uh, to be able to hear what was going on and to see what was going on, and when we could get good internet to check Facebook and see uh, not only what God was doing there but what He was doing here. Uh, Carmelo shared a little bit on Wednesday night, and we'll probably do some more sharing uh, this Wednesday night, um, but. Uh, just excited, excited about what God did there, excited about what God is doing here. And then thinking about our series, I don't think that we could really be in a better place as far as our scriptures are concerned. This Sunday series that we've been doing, The Cross and the Crown, going through the book of, of Matthew, I think is real fitting with the trip and uh, what we experienced there. And uh, in the first week of our series, it was uh, the King's Arrival, Matthew chapter one, the King's Arrival. And uh, we talked about uh, Jesus coming into the world and the king arriving. When we were there in, in Nigeria, one thing that we learned is in the area that we were in, it was just 80 years ago that missionaries got there and started telling people about Jesus. It was literally the king's arrival in this, in this particular region. And even now, the villages that we're in, that was one of thousands of villages. As far as you can look, you just see the bush. You see the jungle, basically. And there's village after village after village with people who haven't had the king's arrival yet. People who haven't heard about the Lord yet. And it's, it was interesting when we were there, uh, in more of the, the center of the town, you could see the difference between those folks and then just maybe a half an hour into the bush and the different understanding about God, the different understanding about who Jesus is and, and the work of the Lord. So uh, the king's arrival to me took on a little bit of a new meeting coming back from, uh, from our trip there. In week number two, we looked at the king of all nations, right? And uh, when you think about missions and you think about traveling, one of the things that I love is, is when you get to see God worshiped in other places. Amen. When you get to go to another country and watch uh, uh, the king of all nations be worshiped as the king. You know, we're, we're over there, it's, it's an eight-hour time difference. So, you know, when we're, when we're uh, sleeping last night around midnight, they were going into church and worshiping the king. Amen. Right? So he's the king of all nations. All over the world, one of the things I was talking to Carmelo about while we were gone is that every second of every day, there's somebody singing and worshiping Jesus somewhere on the planet. Yes. Right? 
So in week two of our series, when we said that he's the king of all nations and we saw the magi, we saw the wise men coming from an eastern nation and, and getting to where Jesus was so that they could worship him and that they can give gifts unto him, uh, it's important for us to remember that, that that's still happening today all over the world. People are worshiping him. Not a second goes by of any day that uh, somebody's not lifting up his name, right. singing to him. So um, I thought that was interesting, too. For, for week number three, I was, I was gone. We were gone. And uh, Raymond preached an amazing message about the immigrant king. Why don't we give Raymond a hand? Amen. <laughs> so he had to preach the message, and he recorded it, then he uploaded it so that I could listen to it. Um, what an amazing message that you preached, Raymond. Uh, it was powerful about him being an immigrant. Raymond talked about uh, he left heaven to come here. He was an immigrant. Then after he was already born here, uh, he immigrated to Egypt. But one of the most powerful things about our immigrant king is that he came back to his people. Right? Jesus came back to help his people. You know, Pastor Samson Chuga, the, the pastor of the fellowship there in, in Nigeria, he immigrated to the United States to go to school. He was here for three years, uh, right up the block here, living, living in America for three years. And you know what he did? He went back to help his people. And that's hard. A lot of people who come on student visas or they're able to travel out of their nations, especially third world nations, they stay. <laughs> they don't ever go back. And uh, we got a chance to talk to him about a few different things. And one of the things that he shared is uh, he had to come back to help his people. He has two kids right now that are going through primary school, high school, and he's going to send them off. One of them is probably going to end up here in, in California to go to, to college. And one of them wants to go to school in, in London. But he was telling us how like, his expectation is that they're going to come home. Like, they get to go out and they get to get a good education, but they need to bring back that education. They need to bring back those resources to help their people there in Nigeria. So, again, it made me think about Raymond's message, the immigrant king who had to, to, to be an immigrant and go somewhere for his safety, protection, provision, as Raymond said, but then he came back to help his people. You know, our Savior is the same exact way. He came back to help his people. He came back to help us. Somebody say Amen. amen. <clears throat> And then last week, Gary preached a message on the king's cousin. Why don't we give him a hand as well? So Gary has this, this thing that I guess he just wants to make me cry every time that he preaches. I'm, I'm in my truck listening to the message and tears start coming down. And I'm, I'm thinking about some of the things that Gary shared about the king and the king's cousin. Gary mentioned about our trip going to, to Israel and some of the things that God did there and the things that we got to see. He talked about himself being baptized in the Jordan like John was baptizing people in the Jordan. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to the king's cousin and this, this idea of family... Uh, when we were in Nigeria, they said that, that uh, I was the only Nigerian on the trip because I looked like them. <laughs> the, the picture that you saw that said Team Yellow, it's because Pastor Jason is one of them light-skinned brothers, right? So there ain't too many of those running around Nigeria. But uh, the rest of our team, they said that obviously all of us were adopted. They said that we're all adopted Nigerians now. Like, they love us and we love them. They said, but I look like I came from Nigeria. They said I was one of them. <laughs> 
But I've said this uh, before, and it's something I want to share, and then we're going to pray and, and get into what, what we have to talk about this morning. But I've said this before, the times that I've been to Africa, for me, have been very, very, very special because it feels like I'm at home. I went to Kenya in 2009 and 2010. Mary may have felt this way. We went to Egypt in 2012. And then now this year, going back to, to Nigeria, uh, when I say that you feel like you're at home, uh, you get off of the plane and everybody looks like me. I get off of the plane and I'm not, I don't stand out, I'm not ostracized, I don't feel like a visitor, I just feel like, like I'm home. And it's a very strange feeling for, for an African American because I love this country and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, but in many ways I feel like a long-term a long visitor. I'm used to being one of only a couple of black people in every room that I go into. I was raised that way, I went to school that way, I went to college that way, in the workforce that I work in now, in the church that I go to now. It's a very uh, interesting feeling if you've never felt that way. Some of our Mexican family members here, you may get that experience if you go to Mexico and everybody looks like you, right? If you've never had that before, in 2009, that was the first time I ever seen anything like that. I got off of the plane and the billboards are me, the TV ads are me, the people are me, the airport workers are me, and it's like, wow, Lord. And I've said this before, I feel like that's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. So not that everybody's going to be black. <laughs> don't, don't take that the wrong way. But everybody is going to feel like they're home. Everyone is going to feel like, man, this is where I was supposed to be. So I want to I want to encourage you guys, you know, the Bible talks about every tongue and every nation and everybody's going to be worshiping when we get to heaven. And uh, I really believe that that's what it's going to feel like, where you're going to know, like, this is where I belong. This is home. This place was made for me. These are my people. Uh, so it was just really, really special. I want to encourage you guys like Carmelo did uh, this series, what God is doing in our church, what God does through missions. Just be involved, be engaged, be in prayer. And uh, let's see what God does. Amen. 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 So, Lord, I thank you for an opportunity. I thank you for getting us back home to this family, Lord God. I thank you for what you did while we were gone. I thank you that you don't sleep and you don't rest, Lord. You don't grow weary. You are constantly working in that area. You are constantly working here. And there are countless other places where you are constantly working and moving, Lord God. Please continue to open our eyes. Please continue to open our hearts, Lord God, that we would just be able to partner with you and consider it an honor that you would call us and that you would use us, Lord God, that you would uh, disseminate that gift and that love, Lord, throughout this congregation, throughout our families, Lord God. It's amazing what you do. I ask that you would help us, Lord, as we, as we look at your word this morning, as we look at the cross and we look at the king and what you've done, Lord, what you've overcome, Lord, how you, you arrived here in this place to bring a gift unto us, Lord, how you are an immigrant, Lord God, how you were baptized, Lord, all the things that you've done for, for our benefit, Lord. Let us just have a taste of that this morning, Lord God. Continue to call us home. Remind us that we are immigrants. We are sojourners, Lord. This is not... Uh, um, our final resting place, Lord. There's another place that we're going to, a place that you have prepared for us, Lord. And we're, we're uh, en route this morning, Lord God. We are journeying to grow closer and closer to you, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 4 this morning. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4. We'll be at verse 1. In Matthew chapter 3... Uh, Jesus had a mountaintop experience. Say mountaintop. mountaintop. So he sees his cousin, as we learned about, 
and Jesus gets baptized. And when I say it's a mountaintop experience, spiritually, literally, the heavens open up. The Spirit of God comes descending down upon Jesus and remains upon him, alighting him. Then all of a sudden, the, the voice of God uh, speaks out from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Like, it doesn't get any better than that. When, when you think about your walk with God, many of us have had mountaintop experiences. Raise your hand if you've had a mountaintop experience with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right? So Gary's talking about getting baptized in the Jordan. You know, Carmelo's talking about coming into a room and he's just overwhelmed and he's crying in Nigeria. Some of us walk into prayer services. Some of us can remember when we first came to the altar to give our life to Jesus. Some of us can remember just things that God has done in our life. And there are these mountaintop experiences. Just like what Jesus is experiencing here as he gets baptized and the spirit descends and the father speaks, uh, declaring these things about him. But what comes after mountaintop experiences very often are valleys of challenge. See, we're not made to live on the mountaintop. Wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus just stayed in the water with the spirit on him? But no, he had to go through some valleys. He had to go and be crucified. Like, challenges come after mountaintop experiences. I think something we need to learn as Christians is that sometimes God gives us a mountaintop experience so that we can have the, the, the strength and the confidence to endure the valley that is coming. We don't get to live on the mountaintop. We have to come back down into the valley. Most of the people who went on our trip to Nigeria have had a significant challenge since they got back home. From the mountaintop to something difficult. I've been talking to them, I've been hearing testimonies, and it's not easy. You know, Carmel said he wants to rip everything off the wall, he wants to go live in a tent like he was on the mountaintop, and now in many ways he's in a valley. <clears throat> you know, my particular valley is not as, as significant, but, you know, I was feeling good, excited about coming home, and then I had to go see the doctor and, and take care of some business this week, and, man, it feels like a little bit of a valley. <laughs> We've got some youngins in here, so I'm not going to tell you the whole details of, of what's going on, but it was, how many of you guys have seen the movie uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Anybody? Amen. So... I, I felt like it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off because even though he was faking that he was sick, all these people started calling him in the movie like, hey, they had signs that said, say Ferris, and, <laughs> and people were calling him. People that work for the school were calling Ferris Bueller. So I was telling just a few family members what I had going on this week, and people were calling me like I was going to die. <laughs> My sister called me and said, what is going on? What are you going to the doctor for? I'm like, it's not that serious. <laughs> Everybody relax. But when I would like to be running right now, I literally cannot run. I, I have to like sit still. I have to be calm. I have to, to uh, not be able to do all the things that I would really want to do coming off of a mission trip. And God, in many ways, for me, is just saying, hey, man, just slow down. So you have these mountaintop experience. Then you have these, these valleys. <clears throat> for Jesus, this valley that he goes into after this mountaintop experience is a valley of temptation. The title of the message this morning is The Tempted King. The tempted king. So it's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, but I'm going to read the last two verses of Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, and, and go on from there, read through verse 11 of chapter 4. It says this, When Jesus had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Say mountaintop. Mountaintop. Say mountaintop. mountaintop. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I'll give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Amen. What a story, amen? amen. True story. I like to say that when we remind people, because sometimes I think we read things and we're like, Oh, that would be awesome. No, it was awesome. <laughs> it's a true story. So the first thing I want to talk to you about this morning is the tempter. The tempter. You know, when we read through some of these things and when we think about it in our lives, we, we begin to wonder, you know, who is tempting us? Uh, who is tempting Jesus here? It's the devil. It is not God. Our Lord, our God, he does not tempt us, but the devil does. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God wants us to understand that he is not a tempter. There is no evil in him. Anything that has anything to do with evil or negativity or death or destruction in your life, it's not God involved in that. It's not him tempting you. It's the enemy. And all of that credit needs to go to the enemy. The Bible says that the enemy is a liar and that he's the father of lies. God has nothing to do with that. But we do have a tempter. It made me think about it, though. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1, many of us have memorized it. It says what? The Lord is my what? The Lord is my shepherd. So the shepherd leads, but the shepherd does not tempt. Sometimes the shepherd will lead you into a place where you will be tempted. But we still need to make that distinction between who's doing the tempting and who's doing the leading. I thought about it with when we say the Lord is my shepherd, are, are we really sure about that? Are we, are we okay with him leading us wherever he wants to lead us? Are we okay with him shepherding us however he desires to shepherd us? God will lead us to places and along that road, the enemy will tempt us to turn back. I had a picture when I was studying this and, and, and making my notes of, imagine you're, you're walking with the Lord and, and you get to a kind of like a cliffhanger where the road goes from being pretty wide to being pretty narrow. And you're walking straight and all of a sudden you've got to turn sideways and kind of shimmy over this huge cliff. And then here's the Lord just a few steps ahead of you saying, I'm your shepherd, follow me. And what is the enemy saying? Man, turn back. Turn back. He's tempting us. Turn back. There's a safer route. There's a better route. Why are you risking yourself? There's another way to get to where you want to go, the enemy would say. 
I believe that the, the enemy, the devil, our tempter, has one very, very specific goal. He wants to circumvent and negate the will of God in our lives. That's all he wants to do. He does it in a lot of different ways, but it's very simple. What he says is, listen, if we can circumvent, if the Lord wants you to go this way and shimmy, if I can circumvent that and get you to come back around this side, I win. If I can negate the will of God in your life, if God wants you to go that way and I can get you to go another way, I win, the enemy would say. And that's what he is tempting us to do, is to not go where God would have us to go, not do what God would have us to do, not follow God the way that God would have us to follow him, but be tempted to do something else. Most of our issues, most of our problems, I might even go as far as to say all of them, <laughs> have to do with the enemy tempting us to do something outside of the will of God. So when we say the Lord is my shepherd, I think it, it carries a little bit more weight <laughs> when we look at it that way. See, the enemy cannot do that himself. He has to tempt us and convince us to do it for him. See, the enemy can't just take you off of the Lord's road. He can't make you go another direction. He has to tempt you and convince you to do it yourself. What a responsibility that puts on us to know that every time that we have gotten out of the will of God or we've stopped allowing him to shepherd us, it wasn't the enemy that made us do it. He convinced us and he tempted us and we did it ourselves. That's a challenge and it may be convicting when we look back on our lives, but I hope it's encouraging as you look ahead and you understand that you don't have to get off track. You don't have to go the wrong direction. You don't have to stop following the Lord. You can say, Lord, I'm committed to you. Wherever you, the Lord is my shepherd. We used to sing a song, where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. That's what it means. He's my shepherd. Where are we going, Lord? If he can tempt us and get us to forfeit the word of God, the help of God, the hope of God, the direction of God, the vision of God, the plan of God, the destiny of God in our life, he wins. That's all he wants to do. Hate that tempter. When does he come to Jesus? He comes to Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. Right at the beginning. <laughs> Jesus has been living. Jesus is, is being anointed and being inaugurated. Jesus is about to start his ministry, and then here comes the tempter. Why right there? Because he's like, look, if I can kill this before it gets started, I win. <laughs> right. Think about that in our lives. Many of the temptations are right at the beginning of our salvation, right at the beginning of the call of God in our life. Why? Because if he can either kill it or stunt it, he wins. Sometimes he can't kill the hope of God in our lives. Sometimes he can't take our salvation away from us, but he can definitely stunt us and make us grow very slowly. Jesus had three years to accomplish everything that he accomplished. What if he had wasted a year because he listened to the temptations of the enemy? Think about you, think about me and our lives. We have a limited amount of time to do the things that God has called us to do. So if the enemy can't kill us, that's what Herod tried to do when he tried to kill all the children that were two years and younger. He was trying to kill the plan of God. The same thing with Moses. If we can kill these little boys before they grow into men of God and women of God, the enemy wins. But if he can't kill us, he'll stunt us, right? Why don't we waste like 10 years of your life messing around with God so you only got a few more years to do the will of God? Look at what he's doing. Recognize his M.O. Stunting our growth. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. 
For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted that I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. <clears throat> to me, what stands out in this scripture is it says that we are, we're drawn away and enticed and tempted by our own desires. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The enemy comes and he says, oh, I know what you want. I know what you like. You've been posting about it. You've been talking about it. You've been like kind of looking for when nobody sees what you're doing. I know what you like. And then he entices us with our own desires. I'm not even going to point the finger at anybody this morning. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> I know it to be true. In verse 3 of uh, Matthew chapter 4 this morning, the devil comes to Jesus and he's tempting him with what he thinks Jesus' own desires are. Think about that. The, the Bible says that he comes and he entices us and he tempts us with our own desires. So here's the enemy. Here's the devil. Uh, Jesus is being inaugurated and the spirit is upon him. And he comes and he says, I know what you want. And I'm going to tempt you with it. How does he do that? First thing he tempts Jesus with is bread. Right? Bread. Life. Right? Sustenance. He comes to him and he says, listen, like, I know you want to provide for yourself. I know you want to meet your own needs. I know you want to feel satisfied. So I'm going to tempt you with that. I'm going to put you in a position to satisfy yourself. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't want that. Then he says, okay. I'm going to take you up to, uh, to the church. And you're going to throw yourself off. And I'm going to tempt you to, to test God so that God will catch you because your faith is so strong. You've been such a good follower of God that you're going to force God to save you. His Bible says, the word says that you won't be able to dash your foot. You won't be able to break a bone. So he's tempting Jesus to, to force God into a situation of having to respond to him. I hope that makes sense to you because some of us do that with God. God, I've been doing what, I, what you've told me to do. I've been going to church like you told me to go. I've been giving like you told me to give. I've been reading like you told me to read. So you are going to do what you said you'll do for me. You see what he's doing? He's testing his faith. He's saying, listen, why don't you go and test God? Why don't you try to force God to do what you want him to do? To show that you deserve it, to show that you're faithful. And Jesus says, nah, I don't really desire that either. I don't want that. <laughs> He says, all right, man, I, I, now I'm going to get you. He takes Jesus and he says, look at all the kingdoms, past, present, and future. I love how it says, and their glory. It's not just that location. It's like all their glory, all their riches, everything that they ever can accumulate. Then the enemy says, I'll give all this to you. All the wealth, everything you could ever desire, all the praise. <clears throat> and what does Jesus say? No, I don't really want that either. I began to think about you and me and what we desire. And I don't know if, <laughs> I hope you can receive this because I believe it to be true. 
I don't think that we desire what we think we desire. I know that Jesus didn't. The enemy comes to him and he, and he lays this list out of things that he thinks Jesus wants. And Jesus is like, I don't want those things. I don't desire those things. You and I get tripped up by the enemy because he brings these things to us and we say, you know what, I do want that. And I get tripped up by it and you get tripped up by it. But I want to tell you something this morning. I don't think you really want those things. I think we just don't really know what we want. So it's easy to be convinced that we want these things. It's easy to pursue those things. It's easy to be enticed by those things, but we really don't want them. You know what the Lord, you know what Jesus says? He says, I don't want that. All I want is to glorify my Father. All I want is to be in community with my people. All I want is to see people get saved instead of die. All I want to see is people love each other. You can keep the kingdoms. You can keep the bread. You can keep the challenging of my father because I don't want those things. Imagine if you and I were to figure out what is it that we really want. Then when the enemy comes enticing us, we would be able to say the same thing. I don't want that. We have to figure out what we really want. You know, when we're, when we're home, uh, I find myself naturally getting sidetracked and it's not clear what I want. You know when I was gone how clear it was? I was like, all I want is, is to see my wife. Like I want to see her physically like I see her right now. When you're home, man, you want a meal, you want to be talked to nice, you want, <laughs> right? You want to be helped, you want to be encouraged. You want all these different things. But then when you're kind of in that, that valley or in that place where things become clear, you're like, no, I just want to see her. I just want to hug my kids. I just want to worship with my friends and family. Then if the enemy comes to you and he tempts you with something more than that, you're like, no, I don't really want that. I've got everything I want. <laughs> Another thing about the devil and his temptation is that he's an opportunist. The enemy, our tempter, is an opportunist. What that means is this. He doesn't come to you and offer you more food after you just ate like a four-course meal right. and you're full because you're not hungry anymore. He comes to you like he did with Jesus when he's been fasting for 40 days, yeah. right? When you and your spouse just went on vacation and you were looking at each other's eyes and giving each other's gifts, that's not when the temptation comes. The temptation comes in your relationship when you've been fighting and when you've been arguing and when you've been separated from each other, Right? The enemy is an opportunist. He knows when to come and with what types of temptations. So we should be aware of that. Amen. We should be on guard. Amen. He tempts us when we're vulnerable. He tempts us when we're desperate. And he tempts us when we're tired. This one's a big one for me. In, in my life and in my ministry and in my walk with God, I've made more bad decisions based on fatigue <laughs> than anything else. <laughs> I've gotten into more fights and arguments with people just because, look, I'm too tired to really deal with you the way that I should deal with you right now. So I'm going to say something mean and rude and short. And you would think that the enemy was going to use all these crazy things to get us, and he's like, no, nah, they're just tired. I got them. They're just broke. $2 raise will get them right out of the will of God. He hasn't said anything nice to her for weeks. She hasn't said anything nice to him for weeks. Oh, uh, just a picture on Facebook is going to ruin this whole thing. See what I'm saying? Amen. The tempter is good at what he does, church. Yeah. 
we need to be better. And when is all this happening? Don't forget, right after a mountaintop experience. Jesus is coming down off of a mountaintop experience, and then here he is in the wilderness being tempted. It says that when he had fasted 40 days, this is verse 2 of uh, chapter 4, and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You guys have heard me say it before, and I'm not going to dwell on it too much because I think it's so clear that it's the word of God that Jesus keeps responding with, right? The enemy tempts, and he doesn't just, you know, make up some reason why he doesn't want that. He's in line with the word of God. He says, no, I don't really want what you're offering me because the word of God says this, and that's, that's what I desire. Understanding the word of God, knowing the word of God. But, but something else I see here this morning, when he's offering uh, bread to him or telling him to create this bread and to satisfy himself, Jesus has learned that satisfaction can have more than one avenue. Think about that for a second. The enemy comes to him and says, I know you're hungry. You have the ability to get bread. Get bread and satisfy yourself. And Jesus says, no, you know what? There's more than one way to be satisfied. There's more than one avenue for satisfaction. How many of us have really come to learn that? What do you do when the physical avenue in your relationship or your marriage is cut off? What do you do when the financial avenue is cut off for your family? Right? When there's no vacations, when there's no eating out, how many people lose their minds because that avenue has been cut off? What do you do when the happiness avenue has been cut off from your friendships? You know how you have friends and like you're always happy and laughing together, but what about when that avenue is cut off? What, is, what happens to your friendship if you're not happy? You don't like answering the phone. You don't like talking in this season. Most of us are one avenue type people. And if the enemy can cut off that one avenue, man, we struggle. And look at what Jesus says. Am I hungry? Yes, I've been fasting for 40 days. The enemy says, let me tempt you. Make some bread. You can do it. Here it is. Eat it. He says, no, I got another avenue. What do we do when we're hungry if there's no food? Do we have another avenue? In John chapter 4, verse 31, Jesus is talking to his disciples, or they come back to talk to him, and it says, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. He says, I got another avenue. When that story takes place, Jesus walks up to, to a well. He sends his disciples to go and get food. He's legitimately hungry. He's legitimately thirsty. He meets a woman at the well and he asks her, give me something to drink. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And then he has this encounter with this woman, which is one of my favorites in all the Bible. Then the disciples come back and they say, you got to eat. I know you're hungry. These are his friends. And they're saying the same thing that the enemy said. I know you're hungry. Eat. And Jesus has the same response. Oh, you know what? I have another avenue. <laughs> you guys came with food, but I have a food that you don't know anything about. You know, what? you know what his avenue for satisfaction was? Even though he was hungry, even though he was thirsty, he met a woman at the well and he gave her living water. 
giving her living water satisfied his physical need for food and water. He had another avenue. I wonder how many things could satisfy us if we just recognize that there are other avenues. The tempter is, is good at what he does, but man, our Lord is better. <laughs> the example that God has given us is better. I've been, I've been learning this in my life a lot. The more I deal with couples specifically, that we get one track mind and we are one avenue people. So when people talk to me about some of the frustrations and the struggles that they're going through in their relationships, I'm often thinking in my mind like, man, that's just one of many areas of your relationship. There's so much satisfaction available to you while that one is cut off. So the first one this morning is the tempter. Let's recognize who he is and what he does and how he does it. The second one I want to talk to you about is isolation that I see in this story. I think there's two sides of isolation. Uh, when Jesus gets led into this wilderness, um, I think we often find ourselves uh, in the wilderness as well. So the first side of isolation is that we are unprotected and we are unaccountable. That makes us easy targets and it makes it easy for us to fold. If you're in a wilderness, <laughs> you are unprotected, you're by yourself, you're isolated, it's just you and the enemy. But you're also unaccountable. There's nobody else that you have to be accountable to, so we often fold. We don't fold when we're in the middle of the church and everybody's looking at us and we got a decision to make. When you went out to, to men's fellowship and there's eight other men sitting with you and some woman walks by, all, no, none of the men fold. We look down at our food like, yeah. I ain't even going to look. But let it be lunchtime and you're by yourself sitting somewhere, isolated unaccountable because your brothers aren't there and nobody's looking at you. Nobody's watching. Nobody's going to post a picture later on Facebook. When you're unprotected and you're unaccountable, that isolation, the enemy often wins. We fold. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. That's why. That's one of the reasons why we need each other. We should not, we're not made to be isolated. Even, I think Mary preached on it uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, this idea that um, when the Lord looked at Adam, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. You need somebody with you. That's not just men and women. That's men and men and women and women. We need people with us. We are not supposed, we were not created to be alone. We're not created to walk with God alone. It's a group thing. The Bible says, woe to the one who is alone when they fall. It doesn't say, if you fall, it's sad if you're alone. It says, when you fall, man, if you were by yourself, that's terrible. You're going to fall. You're going to trip. You're going to stumble. You're going to struggle. You need people around you. Do not be isolated. The Bible talks about a two or a three-strand cord being strong. I want to encourage you guys this morning that I think many of the, the issues that we struggle with as Christians could be solved by just not being isolated. Amen. If you focused on just don't be alone. <laughs> don't get isolated. Don't try to do the God thing by yourself. Amen. Don't forsake the assembly. If you just did that, probably 80% of our issues would disappear. Think about the struggles that you've had and how many of those struggles was isolation a major part of it. Nobody knew. Nobody talked to you. 
you didn't call anybody, you didn't go to church, you didn't confess, you didn't ask for help. So I think that's one side of isolation that's very important uh, with Jesus going into this wilderness. And when you think about the wildernesses that you have gone into or will go into with the enemy, uh, isolation's a big one. The second side of it, though, is uh, I think when we're isolated and we go into some of these places, we can clearly see the battle between good and evil. We can clearly see the tactics of our enemy. Sometimes when we're not alone, sometimes when we're in groups, sometimes when we're busy, we don't see what the enemy is doing to us. But you get one-on-one like Jesus was in the, in the wilderness, and he's like, man, I see exactly what the devil is trying to do to me. If you ever slow down enough and get away from friends and family sometimes and get away from the busyness and the hustle and bustle of our lives and you just sit still, you'll be like, man, I see exactly what he's trying to do to me. I see exactly how he tried to use that conversation. I see exactly how he tried to use that temptation. I see exactly how I was so busy that I was like frustrated with my, like, you'll see it. I think we fall victim to some of these temptations because we're ignorant, because we don't even notice what's happening to us. So I think in that sense, God would say, hey, you do need to kind of get alone a little bit. (laughs) See what's happening to you in the spiritual realm. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's one of the best scriptures in all the Bible. You know you're going to be tempted, but don't think you're special. How many of us, like something has happened to you, you're like, how could this ever happen? It's, my life is so much worse than everybody else's, and the challenges are so much harder for me than they are for her and for him. The Bible's like, no, same thing that's happening to you is what's happening to them. Yeah. It's common to all of us. It's just temptation. It's just the enemy. But then God is so encouraging. He says, listen, he's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. We learned about this a, a, a while back that the enemy tempts, but God tests. And God isn't testing us so that he could say you failed the test. He's testing you to show you what you're capable of. Yes. We talked about it. It was one of my, my favorite Bible studies. We talked about um, how testing works. If they, if they build a bridge that's supposed to be able to carry 1,000 pounds, let's say, they put something on it that weighs 2,000 pounds. So they can test and say, look, it's strong enough to do what we said it could do. When you buy tires, it has a tire rating. It says these tires are good for 50,000 miles. And then they run them for 50,000. It gets to 60,000. It says, look, this tire is better than 50,000. When you go through a test in life, God is saying, I already know what you're capable of, but I want to show you what you're capable of. There's nothing like coming out of a test, coming out of a temptation, and being like, dang, I didn't know I could do that. There's a flip side to that. Naomi last week, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, uh, she got in trouble because she got a 54% on a test. And it was hilarious because we're sitting at the table. I was like, well, how come Naomi couldn't play after, after church on Wednesday? Because she got a 54 on her test, and she needs to study, and she needs to focus. And then Naomi's like, I don't know what happened. I left so confident. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, oh, you're not even in trouble anymore because that's hilarious. (laughs) 
So that happens on both sides with us and the Lord, right? Like, like sometimes we think, man, I passed that test with flying colors, and you failed miserably. <laughs> but other times we go into tests, and you're like, man, I don't feel like I studied well, and I don't really know the questions. And you get your test back, you're like, man, an A minus? Like, dang, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> That's like your walk with God. He's like, I know what you can do. You feel like you haven't been studying, but I've been, I've been preparing you in a way that you didn't know that you were studying. You didn't even know that you were being prepared for this. And here's the test. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to the tempter. You can pass the test. Shimmy on down the side of that thing with me real quick. We're going to get to the other side. I love that God is trying to prove us and not break us. God's trying to prove, prove you and not break you. So last one. The first one was the tempter himself, be aware. The second one is this idea of isolation, right? Sometimes there's a side of isolation that is, that is definitely negative and we don't want to be involved in that. Other times we do need to slow down and take a season and take a step back and say, Lord, let's just, let's just get me and you. You know the enemy's going to try to get in there because uh, he doesn't sleep either. It says he ro- uh, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, Right? So we just need to take a step back sometimes and say, Lord, can I really see for a second the real battle of good and evil? Amen. Let me see what's really happening to me, happening around me. And then the last one is, is victory. So tempter, isolation, and now victory. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, so let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, the idea of victory and the fact that we are victorious, it's because we have a high priest, we have a savior, we have Jesus who was tempted just like we are tempted, but he was victorious. He did it without sin. He shows us how to be victorious over the temptations of the enemy. He prepares us and proves to us that we can be victorious. Jesus fasted. Jesus isolated himself in order to draw closer to God and prepare for what was ahead of him. Let's think about that. The initial uh, act. Jesus is fasting. Why? Because he says, I want to draw closer to God so that he can prepare me for what's ahead of me. He knew he had a ministry. Many of us, if we want to be uh, victorious, if you want to overcome the temptations, if you want to fulfill what God has for your life, you need to to fast. (laughs) You need to pursue God in a way that he can solidify that call in your life. I can look back and, 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 how can I say this? I didn't realize what was happening then, but I can look back now and see what was happening. When I first got saved, I believed that God was going to call me to be a pastor. God was going to call me to be a husband. God was going to call me to be a father. And right in the beginning, there was this season of isolation where I just disappeared from all my old friends, disappeared from family, disappeared from everything. It was just me and God and the word of God in a little room. (laughs) And it was just like, I'm going to draw close to God. And then he made his the reality of who he is so real to me that it would never be shaken again. Does that make sense? Like, 
I was convinced about who God was. There was a lot of other things that got shaken in me and trials and tribulations, but that initial like, I know you're real, I know you love me, and I'm never gonna turn back, that happened in that season of, of isolation and fasting from, from certain things in life. And so when I look at what Jesus did, he's like, man, I'm, I'm about to preach for three years, I'm gonna call disciples, I'm gonna heal the sick, I'm gonna deliver people and do miracles, I'm gonna hang on a cross for the salvation of the world, like I gotta get what I gotta get right now in the beginning. The good news is that you can do that at any time. If you haven't gone to that place where you're like, man, I want to really figure out who I am and who God is and what my future holds, do that now. That'll help you overcome the temptations of the enemy. If you're unsure about what you want and who you are and what God has for your life, it's real easy to fall into temptations when they come. When people come to me now and, and they offer me jobs that say, but you got to move. Nope, I'm a pastor in the city of Brea. <laughs> I'm not even tempted by it. Does that make sense? What about you? How many things would you just say, I'm not even tempted by that because I'm so sure of the call of God on my life, the will of God for my life, the direction of God for my life. It doesn't mean that those are bad things. It just means that they're not for me. So Jesus fasts. He draws close to the Lord. He prepares for what's ahead of him. <clears throat> he didn't distance himself from, uh, from the Lord by isolating, he drew closer to the Lord. And another thing about Jesus, once he knew what he was going to do and once he was solidified and once that spirit had done all those things, he went into fellowship and he never left fellowship again, right? He comes out of that temptation with, with the, the devil and what does he do? He starts calling disciples. Andrew, you're with me. Peter, you're with me. John, you're with me. Get, get out of that boat. Get rid of, get rid of those nets. You're with me now. We're walking. Well, can we get some stuff? He's like, no, you don't even need anything. People are going to take care of us. We got business to handle. Let's go. And he remained in fellowship. There was never a season where he was not in fellowship with the men and women of God from then on out. Amen. You want to overcome temptation? Stay in fellowship. Don't ever let there be a season in your life where you're not with your brothers and sisters, where you're not talking to people, where you're not praying together, where you're not having meals together. I'm not just talking about in the church, fellowship together. Amen. That's the example Jesus gave us. All these things are tied into victory. He made up his mind what his life was going to look like, and then he just stayed in fellowship. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Some of us want to really, like elaborate plan for victory and God makes it so simple submit to God and resist the devil pastor I'm going through this in my life but what should I do uh submit to God and resist the devil no but it's different now it's been 10 years and now we're in this stage of life and this is going on what should I do uh submit to God and resist the devil that's it Listen to the end of, of the Lord's story here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Jesus said this to the enemy. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Submit to God. I'll only worship God. That's what the Bible says. And that's what I'm going to do. Resist the devil. Away with you, Satan. He didn't hide from him and he wasn't cowering and he wasn't like trying to sneak away. He said, get away from me. I'm resisting you. And what does it say? Then the devil left him. Many of us are tormented because we haven't told the enemy, get away from me. Yeah. 
in our lives and in our history, sometimes that's been the hardest part for us. Many of us want to separate from people. We want to separate from old relationships. We want to separate from, from unhealthy things. But we try to sneak away a little bit, you know? Like, you just, you just try to, like, turn your back on it a little bit, like, <laughs> maybe they won't see me. <laughs> and the, the Lord is saying, no, no, no. You need to tell those people, hey, stop calling me. Amen. I'm not going to do that anymore. Amen. I have to separate myself from you. Jesus said, flee from me, Satan, <laughs> you devil. Get thee behind me. I think we can do a little bit better job of fleeing from the enemy, closing those doors behind us, right? Some of us walk out, but we leave the door open for these things to follow us. Close the door behind you and then pursue God. And it says that the enemy will leave. When Jesus was done with these three things, the enemy kept coming. Do this, do this, do this. He's like, no, no, no. Now get away from me. I'm going with my father. Then the enemy said, all right, I'm out. I'll go mess with Vaughn because he's probably going to leave a door open. I'll go mess with her because they never close the door. They never tell me to leave. They try to walk away, but we both know they want me to come, so they leave the door open for me. And then listen to this. The end says, after all that, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. See, the angels come and minister after the test is passed. Right? I've heard it said before that the teacher is always silent during the test. See, when you're being tested, that's not the time to look for angels to come descending. That's not the time to look for, for the voice of God to come and say, this is the direction you shall go. No, it's the test. Pass the test. You already know what you're supposed to do. Do it. And then once you're done, then the Lord will come and say, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Let me show you, you got an A plus on the test. Let me send the angels to minister to you and to help you and to encourage you and to tell you, man, we were so proud of you. You didn't see that we were watching, but we were watching. <laughs> And they come and they bring all that encouragement. But during the test, it's silence. Do what you got to do. Be victorious. Come out the other side. And then that's when the celebration will take place. Amen. I want to remind you that God is so excited about us passing the test of temptation. Amen. He's prepared us and he's excited. He's waiting to celebrate. He's waiting to give you your score. He's waiting to show you how good that you've done. Let's just let him be our shepherd. Amen. 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 Worship team, would you come? And prayer team, can you just prepare yourself? I want to spend a few minutes praying as we receive communion this morning. Um, I want to close with something. I think, uh, I feel like it's from the Lord. It, uh, hopefully it will be special for you this morning. Why don't we all stand? <clears throat> you know, when we, went to, uh, when we went to Nigeria, a pastor friend of mine, we were texting back and forth, and, and uh, actually we were emailing, and he said to me, Man, I hope you have a great time out there, and, and, and I don't know how, how you typically move in the area of the prophetic, he said, but I just feel like God is saying that he wants to use you in a prophetic way in Nigeria. So I, I responded back to him. I said, you know what? I'm going to be praying about that, and I'm going to be open to it, and I hope God does, and I'll let you know when we get back what, what the Lord does. And one particular day that we were there, uh, I felt God give me a word, like a prophetic word, and I was like, dang, I should have never talked to that pastor. <laughs> And one thing about being there is being a third world country, it's easy for those people to look at their situation and their circumstance and say, we need help. We don't just need the Savior, Lord Jesus. We need a Savior from America to come and fix everything for us. We need 
something more than what Jesus offers. We need somebody to come in and give us the resources and, and open doors for us, right? And I really felt like what the Lord was saying is, no, you don't. You don't need those things. So the word that the Lord gave me that I shared with them uh, is that they don't need somebody to come and open the doors for them. They don't need superhuman strength to be able to kick down the doors. I felt like the Lord was saying that he was going to give them keys to just open the doors. Right? And the scripture says, when Jesus left and he left his disciples, he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What he's saying is, if you open the doors, they'll be open in heaven and people can go. If you close the doors, they'll be closed in heaven and people won't be able to enter. But I give you the keys. So I was trying to get them to understand that the Lord says the same thing to them. Like, what you want and where you want to go and the things that you want to do, God holds all the keys. And that he would give them to them. So I feel like for us this morning, similarly, a, a, a word that the Lord would have for us is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Amen. So I know sometimes when we come to church, you might not feel that way, but God says you're strong. We think of the enemy, we think of our temptations, we think of the times that we've fallen and that we've failed, and we think that we are feeble, but we're not. Not because I say so or because I want to convince you to just think that. No, but the Bible says you are strong. The Bible says that the word of God abides in you. I've heard more people in this church say, I struggle reading or I can't remember scripture. No, no, no. You know what? The word of God abides in you. Not because I say so, but because he says so. You are strong and the word of God abides in you. And then he says... You have overcome the wicked one. You have passed the test. You have not fallen to your temptations. You have been victorious. Not because I say so, but because the word of God says so. So here's what I want you to do. If you could just close your eyes, bow your heads, and I just want you to repeat this after me. Say, the enemy is a liar. The enemy is a liar. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. I am whole. I am strong. I am victorious. Let's do it again and let's say it like we mean it. Say, the enemy is a liar. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. Victorious. Lord, I thank you this morning for your sons and for your daughters. I thank you that you reign supreme. I thank you that your word is the final authority, Lord God. It is not a comma. It is a period. It is done. We are strong. Your word does abide in us, and we are victorious, Lord God. Help us to walk that way. Help us to understand who we are and what our hearts truly desire. 
Would you just have the other things to fade away and to fall away? Don't let us be convinced by the enemy of what we desire. Let our true heart's desires lead us and guide us, Lord God, according to your word and according to your will, that we could be strong, that we could be victorious, that we can be whole. You've given us such a great example. You desire for us to be victorious, Lord God. We don't have to fall victim to the temptations of the enemy. You are our shepherd and we will follow you, God. Before we worship, before we close and take communion, if you're here <laughs> and you're not saved, but you want to be, I don't want you to leave without letting us pray for you. Could you raise your hand so we could see you and just say, man, I want to be prayed for. I want to be saved. I want to know the love of God. If I ever end a service without asking that, I want you guys to hold me accountable. When I was in Nigeria, Pastor Jason told the whole, the whole group, he said, I don't have to do an altar call because Pastor Vaughn always invites people to come to faith in Jesus. Because nothing matters more than that. That's right. Hallelujah. I'm going to open the altars for communion, but before that, I'm going to open them for those that want prayer, for the strength to overcome temptation. If you're here and you fall into temptation and you don't feel as strong as you'd like to be, would you come to the altar? You're not alone. It says that it's common to man, that this is an ongoing battle, but I tell you this, Jesus loves you and he, and he will help you. He will provide for you. He will show you the way of escape. You will not be tempted beyond what you can handle. The Lord knows exactly what you can bear and it will never be more than that. He'll test you and you will prove to be strong. He will make a way of escape where you will be able to walk away from things and close the door behind you. He is a good, good God. Lord, as we begin to worship... <laughs> I ask that you would help these. We're going to pray with them and pray for them. Prayer team, you guys can go ahead and pray for them. Lord, meet them where they are. Give them strength. Show them who they really are, Lord God. The enemy, he cannot stand a chance against you. It's your word, Lord, that he flees from. It's your spirit and your power that he flees from. Jesus, thank you for showing us how to be victorious. Your word says that the enemy left and the angels came to minister, Lord God. We ask that you would cause the enemy to flee out of our lives and that you would send your ministering spirits unto us this morning, God. Have your way over us, Lord, as we receive communion this morning. We do it in remembrance of who you are and what you did for us in order to allow us to be victorious, to not have to succumb to temptation, Lord God. You are so good and you love us so much. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. 
Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.